Well, while you're sitting down, why don't you turn to your neighbor, give them a high five and say, I hoped you'd be here this morning. And then after you're done with that, turn to your other neighbor, your second choice and say, you look delightful today. You look, we need to use that word a little bit more. Um, if I haven't got to meet you, my name is Matt Cordova. I get the privilege and the honor of being the youth pastor uh, here at the City Church. So for many of you, we have youth during our second service. Instead of getting to hang out with you guys, I get to hang out with your kids. And let me just tell you, they're awesome. They're the real deal. And they definitely keep you on your toes. If you have them at home, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So um, if you've got a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 11. Anybody still carry paper Bibles? Where are my paper Okay, we got some super saved folks in the place. You're like, yeah, listen, my battery ain't running dry. I can just flip to the page I want to get to, right? All right. If you don't have that, man, I just want to encourage you, download our app you can follow along in, uh, in our notes through our app. We say this in youth group, um, note takers are world changers. Note takers are world changers. Many people, when we walk out the door, we're like, hey, what did that short guy say in service today? And if you take the notes, you're like, well, listen, let me show you. It's right here, right? We got it right here. Um, I love this. If this is your first time, we are a verse by verse going through the book of the Bible. We've been in Luke for some time now. Let me tell you why I like that so much. How many of you understand that Jesus did not call us to be converts? He called us to be disciples, right? To be disciples. That means that we are supposed to look like Jesus here on the earth, talk like Jesus, practice what Jesus practiced. So in order for us to be a disciple, we need to look, like, look at Jesus so that we can look like Jesus and do all the things that he's called us to do, right? That's what we say in youth, right? We want to look like Jesus. How many of you understand we need to see some more Jesus out in the world today, right? If you don't believe me, go spend some time on Facebook. You're like, Jesus, invade this space, please, right now, right? So if we want to look like Jesus, we need to look at Jesus and do what he said. Now, let me fill you in some background information. We've just gone through the Good Samaritan, right? This is a story we teach our kids. Here's what I learned. For many people, when we talk about what a neighbor is, we think it's like the people sitting around us or the people that live next door, right? In proximity to us. So Jesus gives these three examples. One is a despised Samaritan. He goes and he helps this guy that's been broken, that's been beaten, that's been left for dead. And the lawyer, he asked the lawyer, he said, hey, which one of these was the, was the good neighbor? Right? And he said, well, it was the, the Samaritan. He said, okay, I want you to go do that. So how many of you know a neighbor is not just somebody's proximity to you, but a good neighbor from the kingdom of God is one that loves the broken, loves the hurting, Right, goes and serves. And then last week we talked about Mary and Martha. Listen, we can all relate to Mary and Martha. Right, Martha is a doer. Any Marthas in this place, your boy is a Martha. Right, that's, that's just how, any Marys, any Marys. I like what Pastor Clayton said last week. If you don't know if you're a Mary, you're probably a Mary, right? You probably, she's just, she's always found at the feet of Jesus, which is interesting. Her posture is a very interesting thing going into today's message. So I'm going to invite my friend Courtney up here. She's going to lead us in the reading of God's word. If you guys will stand with me for the reading of God's word. Hi, my name is Courtney Hall. Um, my husband, Phil Hall, is on staff here at the city. We have um, one son, Weston. He is two years old and he's in City Kids right now. I serve in City Kids and we also lead a small group. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, 
As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You could be seated. This morning, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about how to pray, how to pray. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, we just thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we can just chase you, pursue you, and learn from you. We love you, God. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want to start off by asking this question. Have you ever done something for so long that you thought it was normal and right only to find out you've been doing it wrong your whole life? Right? Like, like anybody, anybody brave enough to be like, I'm still doing it wrong. You know, you know, like, okay, there, there's some people in the house, right? Let me tell you a little bit about my wife and ours relationship. Uh, I love my wife. My wife is actually teaching in youth this morning. So uh, I'm super pumped about that. But me and my wife, we've known each other for 12 years. She's my best friend. We've been best friends for 12 years. We've been married for eight of those 12 years. And for much or majority of our pre-marriage relationship, like we didn't live in the same town. Right. Uh, it started off. I lived here and she lived in Amarillo. And then after that, I moved to a little town northeast of Amarillo called Panhandle. And she still lived in Amarillo. So like in order for us to hang out, like we had to have good communication. How many of y'all know if you want to have a successful relationship, communication is key. You got to talk. Right. We just did a whole marriage series on it. It was the bomb. Right. You need to go check that out. Right. So we would send back text messages. We're like, hey, what do you want to do? Uh, a, a key place for us is Brahms ice cream. I think the Lord's anointing is on Brahms ice cream. We love Brahms so much. Your boy proposed there. Like, I'm not even joking. In the parking lot, somebody got a uh, just a frozen yogurt. They're like, mm, this is good. And she said, yes, what a day. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was a good day. You know I mean, we love Brahms. So I'd be like, hey, babe, I'm coming in town. I've got this kind of stuff. How about we go to Brahms ice cream? We go get ice cream that day. And this is how I knew she'd agree with me. She would send the word perfect in a text message, but here's how she would spell it. It was interesting. She spelled perfect P-R-E-F-E-C-T. Now, if you know the English dictionary, you know, that's not how you spell the word perfect, right? It's not P-R-E-F-E-C-T. So like for the longest time, 
I thought, you know, man, I've got thumbs and sometimes I transpose the letters like R and E are close to each other on the keyboard. Maybe she, after five years, you can only like convince yourself of that. You know what I mean? For so much longer. So one day we're like hanging out and she said, perfect. Or she sent me a word text, text message, perfect early in the day. And I was like, babe, can I tell you something? She's like, yeah. I was like, you know, perfect is not spelled P R E. F-E-C-T, right? And you ever tell somebody something and you have it played out in your mind how you think they're going to react? I thought she was going to be like, oh my gosh. Like I did, I had no idea. You tell, oh, I'm so thankful. Five years later, you tell me. That's not how it went down. I'll never forget. She had this like angry look on her face, like sideways pose. She's like, you're telling me You've been letting me do this wrong for like five years. Five years, you let me send you the wrong word. I was like, well, babe, you know, like Siri autocorrects. She's like, yeah, to prefect. I was like, she spelt it wrong so many times. Even Siri started to believe it was the wrong spelling. <laughs> like that was like for real. Like she had done it for so long that she had the wrong spelling of the word. And, and I, I was kind of thinking like, what if we've done something similar with prayer? Like, what if we've made prayer something it's not? What if we've overcomplicated something that was supposed to be so simple? You know what I mean? Like, I believe this. I believe, how many of you understand that the goal of the gospel is not just to get you to heaven, but for you to have a relationship with the one who rules heaven, the one who's in charge. Think about it. When somebody passes away, we're not just like, oh, they're in heaven. No, we're like, oh, I'm so jealous. They're dancing with the king of kings. Right. Even when we talk about somebody passing, we celebrate the fact that they're with who they're with, not just where they are, but it's about the person that's with them where they are. You know what I mean? And I think the same is true. Like the focus isn't just a destination, but it's about a relationship. So if the same is true with prayer, what if the purpose of prayer isn't habit or devotion, but about having a true an ongoing relationship with the King of Kings. With a true and ongoing, I mean, think about it. If that's the case, can you imagine having a conversation with your spouse the way you talk to God? Dear woman of the house, you look nice today. Can we please have chicken for dinner? Amen. You mean, that, that would be awkward, right? That, my wife would be like, talk to me normal. <laughs> that's how she would say, talk to me normal. Can you imagine talking to your best friend that way? Hey, Bobby. I know, you, I know you didn't invite me to golf. I hope you play poorly. Just know I love you. Amen. You mean like we don't talk to people like that. Why? Because it's weird. You mean, let, let's, let's take it a step further. What if you talk to your spouse as frequently as you talk to God? Come on, some of us, that's like saying, hey, babe, dinner's nice. And that's it. That's like the only conversation we'd have. Hey, babe, sleep good. You mean? Like it's about having this relationship. It's about having this ongoing relationship. So going back to the word, this is awesome. The Bible says that the disciples see Jesus praying and they ask him to teach them something. They come up, they see Jesus praying. They come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, teach us how to preach. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus, you're about to pass. You're about to send us into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Like, we got to, I've seen you preach to large crowds. Jesus, teach me how to preach the way that you preach, right? We've got to be able to spread the word. That's not what it said. No, it said, uh, Jesus, teach us, how to, teach us how to do miracles. 
Come on, Jay. like I see you speak to storms. We need a little bit of rain here in Lubbock. Lord, teach me how to tell a cloud to pop up the size of a man's hand and let there be rain. Teach me how to go lay hands on somebody sick. Let them be healed. That's, that's not, what, not what it said either. They, they went up to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? Can, can you teach us how to pray? One pastor I listened to this week said that this was the only thing that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. And like, like, let's think about it. Like these guys have seen a whole bunch, right? They've seen Jesus speak to storm, storm, stop. They've seen Jesus cast out demons and they even got to do it. They've, they've seen Jesus teach about the kingdom. They've got to teach about, they've seen a lot of things. In fact, they're Jewish. So it's not even that they didn't know how to pray. Right? They grew up reciting prayers their whole life. The thing is they wanted to learn to pray like Jesus. There's something different about you, Jesus. Something different about the way that you pray. And I think if we're paying attention to this, that should communicate the value that prayer should have in our life. You know what I mean? It's not about big platforms or, or all of the like musical ability, fancy technology. No, 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 no. It's about, he said, hey, teach us to Pray. And if we're going to be honest, can I be, can I be honest with you guys this morning? This is, I'm going to speak right to me. Prayer is often the last thing that we run to. Right? Problems come up in our life and we're like, you know what? I can figure that. All right, Jesus, I got this. Don't worry about it. I can figure this out. So we try to use our own strength only to find out like that didn't work. So we're like, all right, so what does Google say that I should do? So we Google it because everything's true on the interweb, right? And that doesn't work out. And then we're like, all right, so maybe I should just pay somebody else to do it. And then we're like, when that doesn't work out, we usually end up in a worse situation, if we're going to be completely honest, right? It's usually worse than it started. And we're like, you know what? I'll pray. See, what we need to understand is this. Prayer is not a last resort. It should be our first response. Prayer is not our last resort. Man, can you think about how different our lives would be if we would go to God first? You know what I mean? One of the things that's on the rise in this current time is anxiety. You know what anxiety usually, like if we were to give it a simple definition, anxiety is a fear of a future event. Like this potentially could happen. Students struggle with anxiety. There's a big test coming up, so they get anxious, right? Uh, people in leadership positions struggle with anxiety. I got to have a hard conversation. I don't know how it's going to go. It's a fear of a, fu of a future uh, event. But what would happen if we go to the one who knows the future? God, listen, this is coming up. I mean, I need you. I need you to show up in this moment. Like, I just don't know what's going to happen. Can I be true and honest again? Like we talked about Mary and Martha last week. I think sometimes the greatest evidence of if you're a Mary or Martha is where prayer is in your timeline. Like for us Marthas, holler at your boy. What we like to do is work first and we're like, oh, I'll pray now. Marys, they're always at the feet of Jesus. They run to the feet of Jesus. So they ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Jesus says, you should pray like this. And then he goes into what's called the Lord's Prayer. Did y'all recognize that that was, you want me to tell you why it's called the Lord's Prayer? Because Jesus is the Lord and he taught it. Real easy, right? It, it, a lot of theologians think that it should be called the disciples' prayer because they're teaching, he's teaching his disciples that this is what you say. And if you heard it, like when we read it, it sounds differently probably than what we were taught because the version that we were taught is in Matthew's gospel. The reason that they're different is Luke has a different audience and it was recited differently to him. So let's look at verse two. Let's look at what it says. It says, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. 
Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And do not let us yield into temptation. Now, stay with me real quick. What's that first word of the prayer? Father. Well, if I'm the disciples, I'm like, no, Jesus, like I get it, right? You're the son of God. Peter already told us about that. He told us that he told you about that. Like we get it. Like you're the son of God. You can say father, but we, I don't know that we could say father. And Jesus is like, no, 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 you don't get it because you can. You're my disciple. The Romans says it this way, that the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are children of God and we can come to him and call him Abba, father. Right? So it changes the landscape of everything. See, for these guys in Jewish culture, they're, like I said, they're used to recited prayers. But they never referred to God as Father. They referred to him as, as Jehovah. Right? We know that name, Jehovah Jireh, right? Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Rapha. They referred to him as Adonai, which is Lord, or, or Elohim. But Father? Can I tell you something? This is crazy. God being referenced and desiring to be a father is all throughout the Old Testament. I was reading the book of Deuteronomy this week and Moses recanting their history. to them. It's like, it's kind of crazy. They were exiled for what, 40 years, right? It's the 39th year in the 11th month. And Moses is in front of everybody. They're getting ready to go to the promised land. He says, listen, the only reason we made it through the desert is because God, God provided for us like a father would provide for his children. The book of Isaiah says that God is desired to treat us as his children. How many of you understand that God's desire has always been to be our father? But did you also notice that they didn't, he didn't start off with all of his requests, right? He didn't say, God, listen, I'm struggling because uh, my mother-in-law is sick. My kids, they're doing whatever they want to do. They don't even listen to me anymore, right? They don't go to bed on time. They're showing up late, so I'm losing sleep, so I'm impatient. Lord, help me with my patience. Like, they didn't bring all of their requests. The first part of the prayer that Jesus taught them was solely focused on God. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Come on, they're getting a proper perspective of God. We actually see this imitated in Acts chapter four. Here's what happens. Peter and John get arrested for preaching the gospel, right? Acts chapter 24, they get arrested for preaching the gospel. They get let go and they, the, the people, the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, they're like, listen, don't you do it no more. You mean, can you imagine the panic that could have gone over the church? Like Jesus told us to go preach to the world. Like, what are we supposed to do? So they go back, they tell the church, and this is how their prayer starts. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. Oh, sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. Notice they didn't say, God, like, we don't know what to do. You told us to preach. Like, how are we supposed to do this? Like, they, they, they started their prayer by referencing exactly who God is. God, you're sovereign. You're in control. You're in charge. Whatever you say goes. And you created everything that we see in heaven and on earth, the sea and everything in them. They're realigning their perspective. Why? Because having the right perspective of God can give us the faith to believe that he can do the impossible. Getting the right perspective of God helps us realign ourselves. Like how many times have we just sit there and focused on our problems when we go to God in prayer? You know what I mean, there's a, I mean, we, I'm sure we've all heard it is like, 
Instead of telling God about how big your problem is, why don't you tell your problem how big your God is? You know what that requires us to do? Get the right perspective of God. God, you created all things. God, you are sovereign. You are in charge. You are holy. You are faultless. You are wherever I run to and wherever I run from. You're on the highest mountain in the lowest valley just to be there with me. Can you imagine how that would change even just our mindset going into prayer? So I was thinking about it this way. Like if, if you were struggling maybe cancer or some sort of sickness, maybe the way that we approach God as Father. You're the God who speaks and people are healed. Every person you laid hands on was healed, Lord. You, you, in fact, you never ran from the unclean. You ran to them and you made them clean. God, can you move in this sickness? Can you speak in this moment? Maybe, maybe you're here this morning, you're struggling financially. Maybe the way that we approach God is God, Father, You've never lacked. Everything exists in you and through you and for you. You spoke it all into existence. You have a cattle on a thousand hills. God, and I'm worried about money, but I know gold is asphalt in heaven. God, help me in this situation. Help me trust you financially. Maybe you're in an impossible situation. And the way that we approach God is, Father, God, you created all things. And I remember that you split a sea, you split a body of water so that people, your people, can walk through on dry ground. God, I'm asking you to pave a way in this moment. Can you see how having the right perspective can change the faith that we have when we come to God? Right. But then he goes into verse three. Look at this. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Now, I love this part, right? Because this part reminds me of Israel in the desert, right? We, we read this story and like they whine and they complain. And they, but in the, in, the, in, in the book of Exodus, God gives them this thing called manna. You know what I like about manna? I'm, I'm going to let my inner youth pastor out right now because how many of you know that God invented frosted flakes? Right, the Bible says that manna was thin flakes like frost. Holler at your boy, like Kellogg's didn't come up with it. It was all God, right? So God invents frosted flakes. He gives them frosted flakes and it's enough for what they need. He tells them, hey, go gather what you need. On the sixth day, gather for two days, but on the seventh day, don't gather. So when, we, when he says, give us today our daily bread, this is what we're saying. God, like I can't get through this without you. God, I need your provision in my life. How many of you know the reason we're here today is because God showed up every day in our life. He showed up yesterday, the day before, the year before, the decade before. The reason we're here is because of God's provision, his faithfulness and his goodness. So Jesus is teaching them. He says, listen, pray to God. God, give me the provision that I need for today. I can't do this without you. Man, how many of us need to be reminded that we can't do this without God? Let's be real. Can't do this without God. Can't do this with God. So they pray for provision. Then he goes to forgiveness. And this is crazy. He says, forgive us. Everybody say as. As we forgive those who sin against us. Right? Can I, I'm just going to be real with you guys. To follow Jesus is to forgive people that hurt you. To follow Jesus. That, that, that means that grudge that we're holding on to. No, you got to figure out a way to let it go. In fact, you have a way to let it go. It's called forgiveness. God forgave us. I mean, Matt, but you don't know what they said. You don't know what they did. You don't know how they betrayed me. You don't know how they hurt me. No, you're right. I, I, everybody likes to hear that, right? Every once in a while, you're right. 
I don't, I don't know how. But I'm pretty sure how they wronged you doesn't compare to how we wronged God. How, how they hurt you doesn't compare uh, in how, uh, against how we sinned against the very holy God. Like it's nowhere close. It's not even on the same playing field. So this is true. Jesus says this, pray for, to ask God to forgive our sins, but also as we forgive those who, hurt, that, who have sinned against us, right? Can I be real? Forgiveness is hard. It is. In fact, I don't think you can do forgiveness without God. But you have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you've said yes to Jesus. And through the Holy Spirit, listen, it may take some time. As doesn't happen overnight. As we learn to forgive those who have sinned against us. But we have to work towards it. To follow Jesus is to forgive people. It's to forgive people. And then the last part, he says, and don't let us yield to temptation. So God, protect us from temptation. If you've been alive for any amount of time, you know, temptation comes on the daily, right? If you've got a cell phone, guess what you have? You are carrying temptation in your pocket. If you gave a cell phone to your kids, an iPhone, I'm all about Apple. I think Android came after sin. Apple was in the garden. I'm just speaking the truth, right? Just speaking the truth, right? But if your kid has a cell phone, you, we've handed them temptation. Oh, I, I, I've got safeguards on it. Listen, they know how to get around it. Like, let's just be real. He asked for protection. God, protect us from temptation. So the, the, the easiest way to sum up the last three parts is this. Every day we need to pray for God's provision, God's forgiveness, and God's protection. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And don't let us give in to temptation. But what I love about Jesus is Jesus, like he finishes this. He says, this is how you should pray. But he wasn't done. Let's look at the next verse. Verse five. He says, then teaching them more about prayer. He used the story. Suppose you went to a friend's, uh, friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be open. So let's, let's try to put ourselves in this situation. How many of us have a friend that will show up at our house at midnight asking for bread? Oh, okay. okay we got some hands. We got, I was like, for more, I, I would assume most of us don't have that person in our life, right? Like at midnight, they're probably going to go to Walmart. They're going to go to HEB. They're going to go to United. Like we got a variety of grocery stores here in Lubbock. You know what I mean? They're going to go to one of those grocery stores. So why in this scenario does the friend come at midnight? Well, because they live in the desert. How I many of y'all remember the Bible is not written by Americans to Americans? Right. So they live in the desert. It was common for people to travel at night to escape the heat. Right. So put yourself in like, let's say we're the homeowner. Right. We 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 live in a one bedroom house. We just put our kids. We got a baby. Y'all know how hard it is to get the baby to sleep. The baby's asleep and it's midnight. Everybody's chilling. One bedroom house. We're all living in the same area. And all of a sudden we hear this. 
We're like, first of all, some of us are like, who is that? Why are they in my house? <laughs> you mean, they didn't have doorbells back in the day. They didn't have the peephole through the door. Right? And you hear them, hey, bro, my friend just showed up. They've been traveling all night. I, we ran out of bread. Can we have some bread? And, and, and you're like, the, you're this guy. You're like, no, like I just put everybody, like everybody's asleep. It's midnight, bro. This is when people sleep. It's midnight. If you wake up the baby, don't, I'm going to come out this door. I'm going to throw some hands, right? You know what I mean? Don't you wake up my baby. It's midnight. Like I'm not giving you no bread. You need to go away. Five seconds goes by. Hey, man, I don't know if you heard me, but like my buddy came in. We're out of breath. I don't know if you heard me. I told you if you wake my like, you better go. It happens again and again and again. Like if we're going to be honest, how many of us would just give them bread so that they would leave? Like, here, bro, I've got seven loaves. Take them all. I'll go to H-E-B tomorrow. Like, get, get away. Leave me alone. Like, take the bread. You know what I mean? It's because we want them to go. So here's a contrast that Jesus is trying to teach them. Here's the contrast. The friend is reluctant, but God is generous. The reason that Jesus tells this story is God doesn't answer our prayers so that we'll leave him alone. God is generous. God loves when we bring our stuff to him. That's what he means. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. It's two parts. Has anybody ever struggled with this question? If I repeat a prayer, is that lack of faith? If I keep asking God for the same thing over and over and over again, is that lack of faith? Are y'all super saved? I've struggled with that question. Okay. Is that lack of faith? This, according to this story in the parable of the unrighteous judge, when we keep asking God for the same thing, it is seen as faith. Why? Because if I go to God repeatedly, what I'm telling him is that, listen, there is no way that this gets answered apart from you. God, you're the only source. You're the only solution. You're the only reason. It's only going to be by you, God, that I get out of this. You know what I mean? I remember when I was growing up, my mom, oh, I wasn't planning on telling this story. My mom got super sick. There's something in her body that was killing her platelets. If you know anything about blood, when it comes to platelets, you got to have 150,000 to 300,000 platelets in your blood. It's what causes your blood to clot when you get a cut. We, me and my mom were uh, at the batting cages, my brother, and then we're at a wrestling tournament. We get home and on our answering machine, how many of y'all still remember those? Yeah, answering machine. We get home in our answering machine, we get this voice message. Hey, get to the hospital. If you get cut, you'll die. Like I'm, I'm in high school. Something in my mom's blood was killing her platelets or in her body. I remember uh, they did all kinds of stuff. They did chemo. They removed her spleen because they thought that that was, that was the first time I'd ever seen my dad scared. If you've ever seen my dad, my dad's a big old dude. Like he was here in the first service. He just doesn't get scared. I've never seen my dad tremble. And I did that night. And I remember going to God every Sunday. We had an altar uh, at the church that I went to, going to God every Sunday. God, please don't take my mom. 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 Eventually, she got tired of the pills. She got tired of the chemo. But something stopped killing her platelets. When she went to the doctor, she was good. In fact, if you were to talk to her doctor today, they don't know why she was healed. I'll tell you why. It was God. Because when we keep bringing our prayers to God, what we're saying is, God, you're the only way that this is going to work. God, you're the only way that this is going to happen. 
So when he says, ask and keep asking, what he's saying is you keep bringing your prayers to him. But there's another part to it that I think that we miss out on. It's that you always go to God. It's that his door is always open for you to knock on. It's not that we would ask him, get what, get what we needed and then go and leave and never come back. It's like, no, Jesus, hey, hey man, you're like my, you're my dude. Like we're boys and I can't get through this life without you. So I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you sleep good. I'll be back tomorrow. I'll ask and keep asking, seek and keep seeking, knock and keep knocking. I love this quote. It says this, that the present parable builds on, upon the Lord's prayer, teaching that true prayer is not only expectant, but perseverant. It's two things. Did you see that? Expectant and perseverant. I'll tell you a, a, a big conviction that I have is that a lot of times we pray prayers just for the sake of the fact that we're supposed to. Listen, when, I, when it says that prayers are expected, I mean, when you pray over your chicken tonight that you eat for dinner, that you're expecting God to be there and that you're expecting God to move. That when we pray in our services, they're not just so that we can move pieces around, but that we're in those moments, we're saying, God, you're real. I see you and be here with us. I mean, God, when we pray, we expect to be in a relationship with you. But God, I'm going to keep praying until I see your will unleashed. Until, notice I said that, your will, not my will. Until I see your will unleashed, right? That our, our prayers would be expectant and they would be persistent. And I like this. Let's look at how he closes. It says, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do, not, uh, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say that with me. How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus teaches them how to pray, tells them what to say, he teaches them like, hey, God is generous. He's not reluctant. And then he goes to what is probably one of the most powerful relationships outside of a husband and a wife. Think about the power of a relationship between a parent and a child. You know what I mean? You know what's really interesting about that? is what did Jesus tell them to teach them to call God father? And he ends with the image of a father. He ends with the image of the father. He says, listen, guys, like how many of you, if your kids ask for, for food, a fish or an egg, how many of you guys are going to give them something that would harm them instead? You mean, think about it. If it was your kids, how many of you would give your kids something that you know would hurt them? I've got two boys. I've got a five-year-old boy named Bradley who looks like Patrick Mahomes. True story. He probably thinks he is him. And then I've got a one-year-old little boy that runs the house. He runs everything. He's in charge. And those are my guys. I mean, those are my dudes. And if they were to come and give me, like, say, Dad, this is what I need. Dad, I need some food. I'm not going to, like, slide a stone in their sandwich and say, ha-ha, talk back to me again. I bet you won't. You know what I mean? No, we love our kids. And because we love our kids, we give them what we know that they would need. Think about it if it was your kids. You know what I mean? If my kid's hungry, I'm not going to give him a stone. I'm going to give him a cracker. I'm going to give him something that he can use that would nourish him, that would meet that need. And Jesus is like, you know what? You're right. None of you would give your kids something that would hurt them. Right? You wouldn't do that. So if you who are sinful, 
if you who choose yourself usually more than other people, if you who disobey a God who's always for you, oh, know how to take care of your kids and give them the things that they need, how much more? How much more does your father know how to give you good things? And in this, in this context, the Holy Spirit, like how much more does God know how to take care of us? Like how much more does God know how to protect it? How much more does God know how to love us? You mean how much more? Listen, some of you guys, all, I'm just gonna speak it over you. All of you guys are great parents. And if you know how to love your kids, how much more does God know how to love you? If your kid's struggling, where would you want them to run? Run to you. Guess where God wants us to run? To him. Just like a father. Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of grace boldly. You know what I mean? Bradley's in this stage of life where it doesn't matter if you're talking to me, my son's going to run up to me and he's going to come tell me. That's boldness. And that's how God tells us. He's like, you can approach the throne of grace boldly. Uh, boldly. You know what you're going to get there? Grace. Just from a parent perspective, you ever feel like you messed up raising your kids? Like you did something you knew you shouldn't have? Yeah, you know what you find at the feet of Jesus? Grace. You know what we need to make it to the next day? Grace. How much more? You know what's even crazier? Even God's knows are good. Even God. I mean, can you, you remember growing up? I mean, maybe, maybe you're seeing this with your kids now. We are with Bradley. Bradley will ask us for something. We'll tell him no. Right? Because we, we know why we're telling him no. There's a reason behind it. One, it could hurt you. Two, it's just not a good idea. Three, it's just we can't right now. You mean when we were growing up, we'd ask our parents, you ever do this? You ask your parents for something, they tell you no and you threw a fit? And all we heard was the no, but we didn't have the understanding. Right? I just want to remind you, some of you are hearing no right now from God but it's because of God's love that he's telling you no, right? We can take verses like ask and keep asking, seek, keep seeking, knock, keep knocking and make it mean what we want to. But if we wanna understand the truth of what the text is saying, we need to understand that God will tell us no sometimes, but his word also says this way, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So what does that tell us? that even God's no's are good. Even when God tells us no. Come on, can you imagine? You remember praying for some of the things that you wanted like 10 years ago, and if God would have gave those to you, you wouldn't be where you are now? But because God told you no, you have the story of victory that you have because God told you no. You got the story of healing that you needed because God told you no in that moment. You have the testimony that you could share with somebody else to help inspire them. No didn't feel good in the moment. 
but it's good now. Right? Here's, I love to do this with our youth students. I think it's a great thing for us right now is I want to say, well, what do we learn about God in this text? One, he's a father. Two, holy, that he provides. God, give us today our daily bread, that he forgives, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, that he protects. God, don't let us give into temptation, that he's generous, that he's not reluctant, that he answers, ask and keep asking, seek, keep seeking, knock, keep knocking. And how much more does he give good gifts? If there's anything that we could catch, that I want you to catch, it's this. Prayer is the most powerful thing we could do. Prayer is the most, in fact, I would say this. You can't get mad at God for not moving in areas that you never pray for. God, I don't like where our country's at. Did you pray for it? God, I don't like how our president's leading. Did you pray for him? God, I don't like, I don't, I, I don't like this. I don't like that. I had a buddy of mine that said, well, have you prayed about it as much as you've complained about it? You know I mean, and, and another thing is like, we tend to teach or use prayer as this defensive weapon. It's a reactive thing. This happens. So then I'll pray. But I've heard of people that their, their testimony, their story is, man, I won the battle long before the battle got here. And when you ask them how they would say, well, it was on my prayer, on my knees in the prayer closet. Prayer is offensive. I like this quote by Robert Law. It says, prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done in the earth. You remember Matthew's version of the Lord's prayer? Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, your kingdom, Lord. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why do we pray that? Because God's will is perfect. Perfect, I'm sorry. Just as we get ready to close, you know, every major revival that's ever taken place stood on the groundwork of prayer. I got the privilege and the honor to study the, the second revival. And like six years before the revival, the second great awakening, six, six years before the revival happened, they, there was, they had committed to praying. So can you imagine praying for something for six years? Ask and keep asking, seek, keep seeking, not keep knocking. But what happens if they give up? I mean, what happens if they stop? No, no, no. Prayer is the most powerful thing that we could do. So maybe, maybe today, maybe you've been following Jesus for some time. Maybe today's the day that like, hey, I need to remind myself that God, you, you created all things. I need to remind myself not how big my struggles are, but how big my God is. God, you created. When you speak, mountains move. When, when you talk, when you show up, rooms are changed. When your presence is there, people go from being dead and hopeless to alive and dancing. God, you're big. You're present. You're moving. Maybe today that you like, God, I need to remind myself who you are. But maybe today you walked in, you're like, man, I just need that father that you were talking about. That one that, that, that gives good, that, that sees me, that knows me, that provides for me, that, that'll, that'll forgive me if he just knew my past. Let me give you some hope, he does. And he still loves you. 
And if that's you, if you need this father, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how you become a son or daughter of the King of Kings. See, the way that the story goes is God created humanity because he loves them. And he gave them a choice to choose him or to choose their own way. And they chose, we chose our own way all the time. And it's known as sin. And how many of you know we can't come before a holy God bearing and wearing sin? And the truth is this, it doesn't matter what the world tells you, you can't be good enough to earn your way into heaven. Even the word says, my righteousness is filthy rags. So because God so loved the world, the Bible says he gave his only son, Jesus, left heaven, left perfection, and came and lived the life that we were called to. He was spitting on, he was beaten, he was broken, he was hung on a cross. Here's why. For loving people. For healing people. For teaching the kingdom of God. He died the death that we should have had. But that's not how the story ends. Three days later, he rises from the grave. He defeats sin and death. And this is what the Bible says, that if you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. What does that mean? In order for us to experience that father that we were just talking about, we need Jesus. And maybe today's the day that you say yes to Jesus. And if that's the case, man, we want to know. We want to celebrate with you because the heavens will. But maybe today we're here and we just need to say, hey, man, I'm going to commit to just creating regular times to go after God. God, in the morning when I drive to work, I'm going to talk to you. God, at night when I'm taking that bath, I'm just going to sit there and talk to you. On my lunch break, Lord, I, I mean, I'm just going to tell you how my day's going. We're going to go into a time of worship. And if you need prayer, maybe, maybe you're, you're here and you're like, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Well, awesome. We've got our prayer team. They're going to be over here in the Welcome Center during this time of worship. And if you want, you can go out the back door and come around through the hallway to get over there. But man, let's be a people that have a, a regular, ongoing relationship with God. You guys will stand with me. Let's pray. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this time and this place. God, I thank you for stories like this where we could see that you're not reluctant. God, you don't just answer prayers so that we'll leave you alone, but you tell us, no, no, keep coming. Keep coming back. Keep asking. God, so I pray that one, we would remember who you are, that you were sovereign, that everything was created by you and for you and exists for you, God, that you speak and things happen, that you're still alive, you're still moving today, God. God, and I pray that we would just make your throne room a regular running place, that it would be our home more than desperation more than anxiety, more than depression. God, because there we find protection. God, it's in, in your throne room that we find provision, find grace. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody say, amen.